Thank you for listening to Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body. This is episode 21, Act 1. Oliver Butler, What It Means About, recorded April 20th, 2019, in Brooklyn, New York. One size fits all prudent kids all screaming about irrevocability. Let's burn some bridges, earn some stitches, and fight our own way free. Cause the rules don't lie, but they don't apply to people like you and me. Let's start it up now. 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 Now they say it's all decided, all divided, all laid out. And the pushcart man with a three-part plan can't understand what you're shouting about. But when the past they plow, the lives allowed are the only roads you can see. Just remember the walls were built to fall for people like you and me. Let's start it up now. 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 Hey, hey, TA listeners. We are always grateful for you listening. Remember to tell your peeps, because when you tell one person and they tell another person and so on and so forth, that just helps us grow our little community here. Helping others pop the earbuds in to tune into this indie podcast about arts and teaching. Also remember to follow on the socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, Yeah. So in this episode, you will hear a new segment that we are calling Friends of the Podcast. And we're kicking it off with AJ Dunk, spelled all caps. And AJ is a comedian, an actor, teaching artist, and a podcast host for a show called I Can't Make This Up. He interviewed me for his podcast uh, in an episode called Happy, Happy, Joy, Joy. And you're going to have to listen, check it out to find out why <laughs> why it's called that. Uh, and then here I ask him questions about his podcasting and his approach. I struggled with stereotypes like it's it's a good thing it has pros and cons to it it lets you know that okay you can either recognize danger or something that's going to go in your favor or something like that and at the same time it could sway push your thoughts into a way where it's like you're judging somebody that is not beneficial it's Mm -hmm. like you're losing out on something so i figured that everybody has their own story and only they can tell their story. So why don't I go talk to these people and figure out their story from them? I've learned that no matter how anybody looks or where they come from, you can find something in common with that person, something positive in common for that person. You can relate with somebody some way did was there something that you found in common with me with my ridiculous stories yes there's a lot of things i found in common <laughs> number one c- 
competition. <laughs> yeah, baby. I'm all about it. Like, mm-hmm. why play if you don't want to win? Yeah. Come on now. Let's, hey. <laughs> Number two, the camaraderie with teams. Everybody's got strengths. You just got to find out where you use your strengths. If you're not good in a certain area, let somebody know nicely. Hey, you might be better doing this. Mm-hmm. Another thing, you said spent some time alone, a good amount of time alone as a kid. I spent Monday through Friday <laughs> for a couple hours by myself mm-hmm. growing up in the suburbs and then your parents work out of somewhere in mm-hmm. nine to five. When you get home from school, the only child, you, you by yourself mm-hmm. <laughs> you gotta do what you gotta do mm-hmm. uh another thing the way you dress comes from the way you want to dress colorful yeah man <laughs> hey, listen i'm not no, i don't want to wake up where it's like oh yeah we know aj's gonna show up with a black shirt black pants black shoes all right on wednesday black shirt black pants black <laughs> shoes <laughs> saturday oh you shocked us you have a black hat on with your black shirt black <laughs> shoes black pants nah i'm about the colors mm-hmm. be colorful like speak that way and in, in the way you dress can speak a lot about how people look at you like mm-hmm. i use the way i dress as an icebreaker where it's like oh okay oh i like your shoes oh i like the way your shirt is mm-hmm. boom 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 a conversations piece a conversation piece yes. oh, about that yes also another thing is you wear your hair how you want to mm-hmm. i'm starting to do that for a while i was like mm. it was where i grew up it was like yeah uh lights mostly dreads were either my mother used to say oh yeah it seems like it's like a a dirty effect like applied with it like ooh people because this was most of the we were in a suburb so we didn't got to see a lot of yeah. diversity with certain things mm-hmm. so most of the time when we saw dreads it was people that didn't upkeep their dreads so now I make sure that I upkeep them mm-hmm. just to be like, pow, now what, woman? <laughs> yeah, you got to keep it right and keep so, it tight. But no, I hear this. I Same. Suburb living, growing up, and not a lot of diversity or even within um, people of color. It, it, I didn't feel like I, I looked like them mm-hmm. or felt like I belonged with, with, with them um, for a variety of reasons. And hair, hair is a big effing deal right. in everybody's life. And like, it was a big deal for my parents to make sure that we looked good, but that in retrospect, I'm realizing now was a lot like, you know, you we're living in neighborhoods that they don't understand. And so we can't give them things to talk about as opposed to like, let's show, let's like really embrace our textures and find the right kind of stylist. That's going to help us with, you know, even if we have to drive far to find them. Um, And that was, that was a challenging thing to understand. And when I moved to Brooklyn, I still had that mentality, but was seeing all this beautiful, textured natural hair that i was like all right it's time right before i did pod like my podcast show and all that i used to design clothes i was a clothes designer with a cousin and another person that we've met along the way which kind of became like family now that was a team thing 
and the team started making moves and directions that not I didn't necessarily agree with. And then I looked to comedy and I was like, okay, this is a solo thing. But then I was like realizing that it kind of takes other people. And I wanted to make the vision of I can't make this up. I wanted to have it as a show. At the time, podcasts was the only available avenue that I had at the time. Mm -hmm. So I did my own research. I looked it up, how to do it. Watched a lot of YouTube videos, did all that. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, okay, I'm going to make this a thing for myself. And the fact that I put out an episode a week and then I know that people are listening, mm -hmm. it's it's a chore. I, I don't use that in a connotative way, but mm -hmm. it's like something that pushes me to keep going. Because mm. I know people are listening, so I'm like, all right, I need to give them something for next week. And also... I'm meeting new people and I'm constantly learning something mm -hmm. and educating people week after week. Yeah. And I've hit that. It'll be three years in November. Cool. For putting out an episode a week. There are times where like I fall off because I got other things that mm -hmm. I have to do. But that's so many people that I've met. My show didn't start the way that it is now mm. it took time mm -hmm. i started off by calling people on the phone i'm where i am you are where you are we're gonna talk for i feel like it's okay this is enough cut it off it took me episodes and meeting different people mm -hmm. to making the adjustments that i've made mm -hmm. it wasn't until i asked somebody to be on an episode and they were like oh well let's just let's just do it in person and the equipment that I had was usually set up for over the phone. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, now I got to get equipment where then I could do it in person. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, that helped me push forward to where I am now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Up in the game and being responsive. Yeah. That's, that's definitely. And then also doing an episode in person is one million times better than Agreed. over the phone. There's so many other parts that play a factor. I'm able to pick up on people's cues. Like if somebody's nervous or if they're constantly looking away, then they're lying. Or if they're doing certain things, I'm just like, all right, it's more real. Yeah. When it's Agreed. live. I've done a few over the phone and I much more prefer the in-person space right. um, and I try to tell people like sometimes I'm at my house so it's real super relaxed sometimes it's in it's in other spaces or uh, out in the world in the field um, and and hopefully it always feels no, no matter what the setting is like you're still sitting on my couch mm, yeah that's yeah, yeah. my goal yeah. always is that it just it's just you and me having this chat <laughs> I've, <laughs> I've been yeah i've been to some i've been to some awkward places <laughs> yeah because yeah. i usually travel with it so it's like I, whatever i try to make it what's most i'll do most of the traveling if mm -hmm. i have to mm -hmm. otherwise we'll find a place that's convenient for both yeah. of us i've done an episode at 11 o'clock in washington square park mm. It was, it was like, all right. And it was still a conversation. 
That's cool. So that's real cool. What would you want? So my my audience generally is um, art artists and teaching artists, arts education folks. Um, what would you um, want them to know about your podcast or you as an artist? I about me. My I I strive to tell people that everybody you have to treat everybody differently no matter what you can't just say oh yeah i've met somebody like this yeah okay you can make that kind of connection but everybody is still different no matter even if you try to walk in their shoes or you're in the same exact place you see the same exact thing their past makes what how they react to what has happened now don't 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 assume People do not assume. That's one of the things that, like, I just it it, it irks me. Mm-hmm. Just ask, have the conversation. It's better to have the conversation than to assume. <laughs> you can find my podcast at www.ajdunk.com. I also have it at a lot of other places, but the place that is concrete where you will definitely find it is AJ Dunk. Dot com. Also, I have you might you can come see it in certain venues because I have made have been able to take my podcast and turn it into a live show. So if you come to the show, you have the potential of being part of the show if you would like to as well. Excellent. Yeah. AJ Dunk, all caps. AJ Dunk spelled all caps. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Any last words for for me and or the listeners? Um, keep doing keep doing what you're doing, kids. It's I, it's a saying that a lot of people say, but I believe it. Kids definitely are the future. The facts back it up. We gonna die. The kids gonna be here. <laughs> that, that's what it is. So the fact that you are working with tomorrow's today is a is a great thing continue to do that educate explain push them to be artists push them in the the direction that they're meant to be pushed in uh in terms of me hey man i'm just i'm out here just trying to talk to people (laughs) and i'm just trying to laugh while doing it that's why I say laughter is always in style. Because even on your worst day, there's something that can always make you laugh. There's always going to be laughter, no matter what. Even in the worst condition, no matter what it may be, you can find something to laugh about. In mm. it. Yep. Nice. All caps. All caps. Well, thank you. Thank you. Talk soon. So. That's number one. Number two, our podcast guest is Oliver Butler, who is a director and theater maker. And he directed Heidi Schreck's What the Constitution Means to Me. We first met through a colleague of, of mine, Lauren Fitzgerald, and then we had a chance to meet a second time at a post-show event after I saw the piece uh, when it was off 
on off Broadway. <laughs> That's weird to say on off Broadway. Um, and immediately I knew after the first time I met him, there was, there was something that was intriguing to me and then being able to talk to him again, just sort of solidified. And I immediately then was like, I would love to have you on my podcast. And he was like, yeah, I'm into it. And so we, we had the opportunity to meet and chat in my neighborhood, uh, a neighborhood that he actually has a deep connection to. So here is episode 21, act one, Oliver Butler, what it means about. Hi. Hi. How you doing, Courtney? Good I'm to good. see you. Thanks for coming all the way out to the, the BK. I'm so happy. Like I said, my mom lived out in this neighborhood, so it's sort of like coming home. I know. That's nice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, your mom lived two blocks from here. Yeah. Yeah, I was here for many, many times. Yeah, so I'm I'm really happy to be back out here. Um, and we were walking from the train station, and did, did you notice anything different from the time the last time you were? I wasn't more? paying attention too too hard, but I know, I'm um, a the fa- there's some new. Yeah, yeah, it was very <laughs> that walk from the train was super distracting. Um, I uh, there weren't a whole lot of places. You pointed out a handful of bars that you could go to, and when I was out here, there weren't. Also, I wasn't coming out to my mom and going to bars with my mom, mm. which sounds cool, actually, but she doesn't drink, so um, that just would never have happened. I just want to point out that I also um, showed you some coffee shops. And coffee shops. <laughs> and coffee shops. Actually, more coffee shops than before. That's but true. actually, all the places, the pizza place I love to go to. Um, Tony. Yeah. I love going there. <laughs> yeah. And uh, there's a, a Jamaican food place across the street from there that I ate at a number of times. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, there's also this amazing supermarket. Um, it's down from Parkside on mm-hmm. Bedford that actually doesn't look like much, but is uh, it's an amazing, expansive supermarket with like everything. That's uh, I need to check it out because I probably have walked by it multiple times and, and have not actually walked. There was in. like four years I was coming here and I didn't <clears throat> know about it. I was always like sort of bummed out about how far I had to go or pay like go- going near the uh the subway there mm-hmm. was sort of a letdown of a supermarket for mm-hmm. me and this one was like expansive well now yeah. I need to check it out yeah that's go much check it out to my house. telling you about the neighborhood here I know it's, it's sad I'm I'm you know it's it's spring and in the winter I become a, a big time hermit yeah um so I, I mostly order food to yeah. to my house so oh um, yeah and now that the weather is warmer and um frankly muggy yeah it's time to venture out it's great get out it's there. great get out there get out there, get out there get out there um <laughs> um so we actually i don't know if you recall the time the first time we met was the first time we met after constant it wasn't a, was it after constitution no what was the first one you told me this last time <laughs> yeah what was the uh, first first time we met? i'm gonna tell you and um uh what I love, this is what I love about New York, frankly, is uh, things like this. You know, I, I'm like, come to Lefferts Garden. You're like, my mom used to live there. Um, I have a friend slash colleague who is like, you know, want to get more politically involved? Come to this um, text, this texting workshop that's being read, run by my friend. And that's when I met you. I also showed up late with my other colleague. And there were a lot of people in that, you know, crammed into a... Uh, was this Lauren's house? Mm-hmm. Lauren okay. Fitzgerald. Yeah. Um, and, and you were in the midst of the workshop and I was all sorts of confused about what was going on and what all the things. But I was very impressed then uh, listening to you like sort of train everybody and answer people's questions and sort of talk about your own process. So I'd love for you to do that. Sure. Um, 
but I remember thinking then like, oh, this guy, like I, he seems interesting. I would love, I'd like to talk to him. But then you know, uh, you you had to go. And I'm know, so glad that's how we first met, down. though. That yeah? was, that was great. That was a really really good one too. Like I did those programs for the first two weeks of. I want to say 2017. I was trying to remember. I think I th- I'm pretty sure you're right. Yeah. It was the first two weeks of 2017. Mm-hmm. Or was it 2018? It might have been the beginning of last you know, year. It was I, eight, Was it 18? I kept thinking, okay, it was definitely after the election. And it was probably at a point where I had been using like ResistBot and really feeling like I'm only talking to my own yeah. um, senators who are Democrats. Yeah. So, um, and we weren't in control. So I, it was challenging in yeah. certain ways. I think it was 2018. And so I think you're right. Um, uh, I will take now back. I think Let's you're right. That's good. About 2017 and say you are indefinitely right. Now around I'm right. 2018. Yeah. And it was, um, I guess we were all sort of gearing up for the midterm elections and yeah. had had uh, a fine glimpse into this current administration and yeah. having issues. Yeah, say. that's right. Um, so it was it was um, exciting actually to be able to think from from my perspective um, uh, to think about how I can reach beyond my current reach at that point. Yeah, and then I got completely overwhelmed. Yeah, I never actually took a big dive in. <laughs> no, no. That's listen. I you caught me. I'm sort of glad that that's the moment you caught me because I feel like you met me at a really critical moment where my artistic and activist selves had become one. Mm. Um, And part of the reason why I felt like I was so able to speak sort of coherently about this kind of uh, activism, it's just like one tool of activism, was partially because I had already been working on the play, What the Constitution Means to Me, for a year. Um, And that play, the process of making that show um, and also looking for new ways to be active civically sort of took two parts of my life and brought them together as one. So I really, I felt like I was sort of both inspired creatively and also inspired for the effect I thought that we could have and have ultimately did have in the last election. Um, so you met me at a really, really good moment. I mean, I've, I've, I haven't been through like, um, I, yeah, I, I don't want to imply that I came out of some, you know, extremely dark time that you sort of saw me in, but I, I think you, I'm glad you met me then. I feel good about who I was then. <laughs> uh, well, uh, maybe I was seeing that. Uh, yeah. How how good you were feeling uh, then, and um, uh, so what? What have you? What were you doing? What have you been doing for the what the Constitution means about? Sure. To me, sorry. What the Constitution means about, about is a great is a what great. Does it, the Constitution what the Constitution about? means about. What it means about. <laughs> I sort of think about like words <laughs> that have just never gone together before. What the Constitution means about. Okay. Maybe no one in history mm. has ever said those words. Together. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Which I is did just, see something on Twitter where like the Constitution is dead to me or something like that. That's uh, not yeah. the sentiment yeah. I was trying to of say. Of course. <laughs> There's actually this website that um wish i could remember what it's called it is a uh it is a library of um it's every uh it's sort of every sentence that could ever be spoken ever including gibberish so now i wish i could remember it's got a name it's got a theoretical name it was Mm. like some poet came up with or uh psych uh I can't think of the right word. It's not psychologist, a philosopher. Mm -hmm. Some philosopher came up with this idea of this thing, which is basically a library of every word, every use 
four um, language, at least in uh, our alphabet, uh, ever. As a theoretical thing, you can't actually have that. Even on a hard drive, it's Mm. too much information. Mm. But someone wrote a um, program that basically it's an algorithm Mm -hmm. that references that library without having to actually have it all on a drive. So everything you've ever said, if we, you know what, on the break maybe, everything that we, like right now, if I said, you know, what the Constitution means about (laughs) into it, it will tell you on what shelf, in which book, in which volume, that, on what page, that line exists. Um, And it's amazing. It's sort of mind-blowing. That is mind-blowing. Yeah. Um, It hurts my mind. Yeah. Therefore, mind-blowing. Yeah. Yeah. now I'm really conscious of the words that I am putting together. Oh no! I, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's how words. That's how words happen. Yeah. <laughs> I guess um, I should be. Thinking. Okay. So wait. Your question though. Question. What the Constitution what, means to me. What the? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so listen. Um, I'm working on this show, which now I can say has like become the most, you know, one of the most, if not the most, successful thing in my creative life. Two years ago, Heidi Shrek. Uh, who's the writer and creator of the piece, came to me uh, and we had a meeting. I was after the 2016 election. It was in the, it, this was in the spring of 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, and she came to me and she told me the idea of this piece she was working on. She had a lot of it written already, but in sort of not formatted into the play that we have now. It wasn't sort of structured the way we have it now. Um, she uh, told me the story told me about um, the story of her family, how her great-great-grandmother came to America as a mail-order bride from Germany, uh, how she was the first woman on that side of her family to grow up in a home free from domestic violence. Um, And she talked about how she gave these speeches as a teenager um, at American Legion Halls about the Constitution, and winning those speeches was how she raised money to... um, go to college. She put herself through college. And I loved the sort of practice. I loved, one, the story was compelling all on its own. Mm. Heidi, I already knew, is one of the greatest actresses working in the theater. Um, So that I knew was like an incredible asset. Um, And I also loved this sort of practical, this idea of civic engagement. So for me, you know, coming off of the election, and at this point I was just I hadn't even started doing the text activism yet, mm. but I was looking for ways for people to be like practically involved in the world and in civic life and possibly sort of fix this thing that felt sort of broken in my own life over over time. Mm. I feel like I came from a generation or from a family and then a generation where I was not taught civic activism. Mm. Um, I know there are plenty of people in my generation who have been active over that time, so I don't want to sort of... I don't want to write off my own inaction, but I want to say, like, I was not taught by my parents Mm. how to be civically active. And I felt like at the point I should have been the most involved, um, we elected Barack Obama. And I was, I I just, I have to say, I was like, we did it. Yay. And then Mm -hmm. I didn't pay attention. Mm. And so when 2016 happened, I just felt this immense amount of responsibility that I had not paid attention, I had not looked at what was going on, and I had sort of lived in a dream world, and I was playing catch-up, and I felt guilty about Mm -hmm. it. Same. So trying to find this practical, looking for sort of practical solutions in my life is part of what the idea of Heidi's piece um, 
recreating these speeches that she gave as a kid, which had a practical purpose too, to put herself through college, recreating those as a way to model civic involvement with our founding document, mm. combined with I was already working on different schemes to get people more civically active in the world. And it started before the text activism. It started with... Um, me doing this thing called two calls a day. There are other things that that are. I'm not saying I invented the idea of calling your reps, but <laughs> I did on my own. Just say like, I'm going to decide the new minimum level of civic action is that everyone needs to make two calls a day uh, in support of some sort of civic thing that they're mm -hmm. interested in. So I did that for months, promoting the idea of sort of just civic activism, um, and eventually I stumbled into. Uh, text activism. Mm -hmm. So for me, that was also this really practical way for someone in a blue state, like you said, who feels like, you know, we find reasons to be inactive, right? We find reasons I do where I th say like, well, I don't need to be active because Obama's president, mm -hmm. or I don't need to be active because I live in a blue state, right? Mm -hmm. But when you really look at it, right, there are so many things going on that we need to be active about, and it is not enough <laughs> mm -hmm. to just sort of do that. So for me, that was about solving that practical artistic action and mm. practical civic action. Okay. I have so much to unpack there. One, I, I already told you that my father passed away 10 years ago. Yes. So my father was alive when Barack Obama was elected, but not mm. by the time he was inaugurated. Mm. And he, he was the person in my family who was the most civically engaged. Both mm. my parents were in certain ways, but my dad actually did do canvassing and mm. polling for Barack. And prior to that, like the first um, memory that I have of politics in my household was the uh, 1980 election. I was five mm. and my dad crying when it was announced that Reagan won. Mm. And I didn't understand at, the, at all what was going on, mm. but um, you know, the news and, and mm. um, the world news tonight were always playing in my house. So it was, mm. it was, and we would read the newspaper and be mm. aware of current events, but I was not necessarily mm. moved to action. Um, and then when I uh, when I was 18, it was 92. So my first election was the Clinton Bush mm. senior uh, election. And um, when I registered, um, it was very exciting. It was a very exciting time. My dad was very mm. excited about it. <clears throat> but again, I didn't get like too heavily civically involved beyond elections or mm. voting. And then after, I think for me, after 9-11, uh, and um, by that point I was like 26, 27, 9-11 um, was, a, was, a, was a big, obviously, eye-awakening moment. Um, I just started um, grad school, was working at Chelsea Piers, had seen the second plane hit, mm. walked 15 miles, like all sorts of things, and like changed the, director, the trajectory of my um, thinking mm -hmm. and was very much more um engaged at least in, in news watching and then social media started to come out and i was like okay here's a platform to to talk more mm -hmm. and and learn more um and by the time uh uh it was you know it was the primaries between hillary and, and barack and that was the first time i thought you know you need you might want to do more and look at your dad who has cancer who is canvassing mm. and so the day that the so you know the primaries happened and then um once it was you know clear that it was barack um it, i mean it was you know kind of a no-brainer like i was really excited to have both of these people as my choices mm. um 
And when Barack was elected, um, you know, and it was announced, the first person I called was my dad and he, he was in Pennsylvania. I'm in Queens at the, at the time. And he's like, we did it. And I said, no, you did this anyway. Um, so I feel like from, from that moment, I felt like, oh, I should be doing more, but you're right. I didn't necessarily, I, again, felt like I was currently current event aware, but not doing much. And then Mm. 2016 was a whole nother ball game. Yeah. 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 I think, you know, what I've heard, I I think we probably both consume a lot of podcast. I feel like I consume a lot of podcasts. Um, and what I've learned, um, it just from the, you know, some people say, you know, people say, and then <laughs> then they talk about like some scientific <clears throat> thing they read about. So I feel like that's how I feel about podcasts. I'm like, you know what I learned? <laughs> and I'm just sort of referencing like a cloud of podcasts I've listened to. Mm-hmm. Um, but that when Barack was elected, you know, the forces of uh, racism and white nationalism um, were like immediately awakened in a mm-hmm. way that... Um, they hadn't been before not that they didn't exist but you know the same thing i went to sleep at the moment that a lot of other people were being awakened Mm -hmm. um and uh i i think about that a lot now it's an awareness i have now about the sort of action reaction (laughs) but it's the thing that really sort of um uh it in some ways makes me feel Uh, I feel somewhat comforted at times because I think, well, even when something really terrible happens in the world, there will be a reaction to it. And it's making sure that like the reaction goes to actually make things better. Right. Right. But, um, I, uh, I'm, I feel really aware of that right now. And Mm. like, I've sort of committed to myself that I will never, um, I will never let a great success uh, civically, politically, mm. or even artistically, then lead me down the path towards apathy. Yeah, but that's for me. I yeah, yeah I hear that, and I I think <clears throat> I would I would like to say that from for the amount of pride that as a black person you have for having a black president, um, I would I would say that that could match or be equivalent to. Uh, uh, somebody in a red state who really is a, a full Trump supporter, no mm. matter what mm. the challenge that I have with that idea, at least is that I felt like Ob- Obama was um, at least not corrupt, mm. whether he, I agreed with every single choice that he made sure. politically or the pace at which he would make choices. Cause I know he sometimes would take a while to like weigh all a lot of options and that would right. annoy people. Um, I just felt like, you know, I wanted somebody who was going to take the time to think things through and sure. really weigh those options. Yeah. So I was about it. But on the, on the other side of that, there was a lot of pride. Yeah. Um, and really for me during those eight years uh, with him, but even more specifically with Michelle was about feeling truly empowered to be my full black, excellent <laughs> black girl magic, like really mm. embracing that yeah. well before the hashtag. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, I never didn't feel pride, but I definitely can say, like, I can look back and say, like, those eight years, I felt like I really came into my own yeah. as a black person yeah. and really owning it and uh, exuding it. Yeah. Um, so that I think there's lots of things that we can 
talk about, but more, more specifically around the political realm and like mm. actually thinking about what's best for this country and the choices that we're making when the world is watching. Yeah, absolutely. Um, political level is, is, um, really challenging. Cause yeah. like, you know, look, thinking about Heidi's, uh, you know, my, my, I saw the show when it was, um, an off Broadway for New York theater workshop. And I was really kind of like, Oh God, this is a lot. I, I'm really, I got to process this, but, um, think just thinking about like what, you know, what's happening on a political level, how it trickles down to daily life. Hmm. Um, and how it impacts like the fact that there's still, you know, politicians who won't who will allow um women and children to be continue to be the most vulnerable people and unprotected people in this country in a country that touts itself as being the richest and the most advanced and the best yeah and treating your children like they don't matter yeah people of color as if they don't matter yeah and women as if they don't matter and that and yet there are women in this country that hold up that same and support that same white supremacist patriarchal mm-hmm. colonized yeah. society. Yeah. And it's, re- it's really challenging because I certainly didn't have that kind of strong language yeah. to name it, but I felt like I was saying those things in certain ways yeah. and not using that particular yeah. language. Yeah. Um, a, a definitely about um, putting women in leadership positions, um, yeah. s- supporting women who are looking forward. Um, so I, you know, I felt very, um, uh, akin to Heidi, even though my mm. experience is not the same yeah. necessarily, but I yeah. was, I was relating to a lot of things that she was talking about. Yeah. In piece. Yeah. I, um, uh, this play has served as the sort of way for me to think about my own involvement in the patriarchy, mm. um, and in, uh, racism and white supremacy and sort of all these patriarchal controls uh, that exist sort of for the most part of my life sort of invisibly in the world. Um, I uh, I recently was listening to this speech by, um, there's this uh, writer and uh, speaker named Kevin Powell who's, um, he speaks, I've seen one of his, I've met him in person, he's someone I, I know now. Um, and I've seen some one of his speeches that uh, he gave about his own complicity uh, in the sort of patriarchy and just talking about, you know, how the patriarchy, how sort of a patriarchal view uh, that puts, you know, men above women, mm-hmm. uh, white people above black people, above other people of color mm-hmm. that that makes that patriarchy also forces uh, white people to be and white men or white cis men to be uh, a patriarch. And we don't all want to be patriarchs. Mm-hmm. That comes with a res- that comes with a lot of expected um, things that you're supposed to do. Uh, and lo- in large part you do, uh, even if you don't want to be a patriarch, you are taught ways to mm-hmm. enforce and defend a patriarchy mm-hmm. in a way. Um, and those are the things that I have been sort of the most excited to sort of take a look at and be able to name in my own life Mm. because it's a, it's a load that I actually don't want to carry. Uh, I don't want to be a patriarch. Um, and it doesn't interest me. And I don't think the world is better. Um, when people around me have less humanity. Right. 
But figuring out how to change that, right, goes well beyond me just feeling sort of guilty for my own complicity, but actually looking at ways to like make change. So I'm trying to relate that you've said a lot of really interesting things already. So I just want to make sure I try and hit on some of them. But, you know, what I've learned from working on this play, you know, Heidi says uh, you can't convince another person of your own humanity. Um, And I believe that even if you can, you need laws that explicitly protect you. You maybe maybe you can. Maybe it is true. But regardless, you need laws that explicitly mm-hmm. protect you. Mm-hmm. So what I've been looking at recently is, you know, why <clears throat> are domestic abusers' rights to own guns being protected? Well, mm-hmm. because guns are in the constitution, mm-hmm. right? And gender and sex is not. Mm-hmm. You know, why can a corporation decide to uh, restrict uh, someone's rights, like restrict, let's say, uh, a uh, woman's right to full health care on religious grounds. Well, because religion is in the Constitution and sex and gender is not. So for me, I've been looking at like not just this way that, um, you know, not just this way that I can just like call out the sort of inequities in the world, but say, no, we, you, it actually matters whether these things are listed in the document that guides all the laws of our country mm-hmm. for symbolic reasons and for very practical legal reasons. Um, because if it's guns versus women, currently guns win. Um, so that's why I have made my like most recent mm. uh, commitment to support passage of the ERA. It has been 100 years in the making, the Equal Rights Amendment. We're one state away, and I'm putting all of my interest, political force, uh, and um, time, activist time, into making sure that we win both houses in Virginia this fall so that by February of next year, we get the final state Mm. uh, and we pass it. Um, Can you explain what the ERA is? Sure. I should just know that the text is actually, the main text is very short, but it is along the lines of, if you want me to call it up, I could read it, or it is along the lines of um, your rights, uh, the government cannot infringe on your rights on the basis of sex. Uh, It Currently, the language does not include sex and gender, Mm. but that's because this was drafted a long time ago. ago. (laughs) But legally, uh, the lawyers that I have spoken to about this, Mm -hmm. from a legal framework, even though sex and gender are clearly different things, from a legal framework, sex also protects the idea of gender, um, or at least that's that's what we're you know right. And I mean that's that is the thing that. once you have a law that's passed and it's up to others to interpret that law. Right. right. And so even if gender is not explicitly um, called out, then there's a way to sort of tout to it towards it. It would be better if it were, (laughs) but it's like what we're dealing with right now. Aren't there amendments to amendments or like articles that you can add? At this point, what we're, (laughs) I sort of believe Mm. we may be past the time when amendments will ever be, added to the constitution mm. um except in this one case right, because, because it's they already it's been already been started it's like mm. you know uh and it's there are problems with it because like there is a deadline that was put on passing it mm. um that is now you know decades old um 
but also that that deadline is not in the language of the amendment. It's something that Congress uh, could easily overlook. I see. Um, so for me, the big win here is not like waiting for this Supreme Court or this Congress to decide that the amendment that we pass mm -hmm. is legal. It's about getting like massive popular support behind the idea of it, mm. passing it, and then reprinting the constitutions and just saying it's done, right? Let wow. it go to the Supreme Court, yeah. let them strike it down, and let them deal with, again, the reaction mm. that will come when they try and take away something that we now believe we are owed mm. and have. Most people think we already have it, actually. That's the other oh. thing. 90% of people think the, the Equal Rights <laughs> Amendment uh, has already been passed or exists in some form right. in the Constitution. So it's sort of one of these things that um, everyone supports, and uh, we need to just make let it, them know. Make it, right. That's great. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't know if I fully understood that. Um, do, is, is there is so does Congress have to once if this all pans that out, and Virginia passes it. What happens next? So as far as I know, now ratified? I am not a legal scholar, so I'm mm -hmm. sure uh, generally. you can yeah. <laughs> <We're>, <laughs> find me at Oliver Butler on Twitter <laughs> and send a lot of hate mail to me. Oh. Um, or uh, uh, legal, uh, you know, legal adjustments to my logic. But yeah. here is the logic I'm working on. Okay. Um, uh, there is this deadline that we've passed decades ago. Uh, because it's not in the actual content of the amendment, um, it's sort of flexible as far as like whether we have to honor that or not. Okay. Um, to pass an amendment, you need three quarters of the state houses in, in America mm -hmm. to uh, ratify it. And we are one state away from doing that. There are four target states where they're trying to do it, and hopefully they get mm -hmm. more than just Virginia, right. that we pass it in a number. So again, there is this sort of popular support. I see. The other benefit of passing it is that in states that have passed either their own Equal Rights Amendment into a state constitution mm -hmm. or ratified the Equal Rights Amendment, as a symbolic victory, it leads to all, like, all these other, um, you know, uh, laws that end up being passed afterwards because oh. people feel emboldened yeah. by the idea. So even on a symbol, the symbolic win, right. even if it doesn't, you know, pass muster or like fades away, the symbolic win leads to other practical wins, mm. which is super exciting. Um, so we pat so get Virginia, you know, both houses of Congress mm -hmm. of uh, the state Congress in the fall in February when they're all sworn in, get them to ratify the Equal Rights Amendment. And then as far as I'm, I'm concerned, you know, reprint constitutions. Then what will happen is Congress at the time will decide whether they're going to like thumbs up or thumbs down. Mm. And then that will probably go to the Supreme Court. But between then and, you know, my whole approach right. is don't sit around like, will Kavanaugh and Gorsuch <laughs> allow me to have, you know, uh, this like protection of sex and gender and instead say, game over, we're done. Okay, right. next. We, we did it. We did it. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Um, thank you for that. Cause I, I still don't really understand the inner work or the procedures of government. I don't get everything. Yeah. That's most, I mean, yeah, that's most um, people. That's everybody. Yeah. There, there are a couple things that I, uh, do we go there? Okay. 
when you said um emboldened uh you know once one law is sort of passed and others sort of follow suit i'm we're seeing that um in terms of uh abortion right yeah. so there are multiple states now that are um passing laws where you, you if you get a, try to get an abortion or you can't get an abortion after six weeks which most women sure. don't learn that they are, are in fact pregnant until well after that right. um and it's that's there's like four more at least i don't know exactly how many but there's a a, a, a big handful right. <laughs> of states that have already passed these bills yep. and a few more that yep. um ohio uh-huh. famously most recently right <clears throat> so that's what i thought of of like oh because of this the supreme court uh making that decision at some point like maybe two years ago these states are now feeling emboldened with um potentially clear clearly probably more red states um or at least red states that uh are willing to take these steps yeah um and it feels very handmaiding yeah absolutely like happening all around us yeah um and so that the the other side of this idea of the, an equal rights bill, uh, uh, ERA, sorry, equal rights amendment, amendment. Yeah. Um, but I knew what you meant. I knew what you, you meant. It's yeah. just you know what the constitution it's just words. It's just words about what the constitution means about. <laughs> <laughs> it's just words. <laughs> it is. <laughs> oh goodness. Well, who gave me this job? This anyway. is how it evolved. This is how how <laughs> words happen. This is how new stuff happens. You know, it's true. Well, I, I so I. This is where I feel we had this conversation, so I'm going to say it again, and I've talked about it here, um, and I continue to hashtag it. Someday it'll catch fire. Um, But this concept that I have in my head of feminarchy, which is not matriarchy or patriarchy, it's about people helping people people being equal to each other. I'm, I'm going back to what you were saying about like, where is instead of feeling just feeling guilty, where do I as a cisgender heterosexual man, mm-hmm. uh, white man, how do I, you know, do work that changes the paradigm? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, to me that, that <clears throat> I am constantly thinking about, yes, how do we change how we w- live how we interact with each other how we engage with each other and within our own lives but with strangers right um and that can be on a political level a community level a just a one person to another person level sure um uh large large examples of feminarchy that i feel like i'm seeing and again it's not it's just my word that i made mm-hmm. up no, um, we're gonna get it <laughs> and this is what i do constitution means about this yeah. is what i do yeah. I also just wanted to say, I was trying <laughs> earlier today, I was like, how can I make friend and colleague one word? Friend a league? Mm. Call a friend? No. Uh, I feel like we might need some synonyms for both mm-hmm. of those and then find we'll some there. words that go a little bit better together. Because it's 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 yeah. like I, a lot of my colleagues are my friends, and so I need a new term for them because yeah. it's real. Yeah. It's like chosen I'm gonna be thinking family. This will be brewing in Good. the back. I'm already into like some synonyms yes, for great. friend. Keep keep yeah. it, keep brewing. Yeah. Um. But uh, Jacinda Adern Adern. How do you pronounce her last name? I I like to call it Adern Adern. Mm. Jacinda. Just Jacinda. Uh huh. Um. Uh. So, New Zealand Prime Minister. Um immediately goes into and already was you know as a prime minister prior to the um the uh attack on um mosques in christchurch um 
was already sort of a political figure that was um, a little different. Um, yeah. And uh, I thought just without <clears throat> thinking, it seemed, thinking too hard about what do I do and how do I do, immediately went into a very different kind of stance than I felt like I could even expect to happen right. in this country. Um, e- even with Obama, who I thought was often very... Um, caring um when like school shootings would happen you yeah. know that moment when he cried after um sandy yeah um uh, newtown sandy sandy, sandy hook. hook thank you um uh but but the the swift action too um sure. so this combination of like truly being there for your people yeah um respecting where you are and who you're with by yeah. wearing a scarf yeah um embracing a people who had had chosen have chosen this place to be their home and yeah. saying they are us we are right. them we are right. this is us yeah um i was am continue to be floored by yeah. that and not feeling like it's a show yeah it doesn't it feels completely authentic yeah. um and then the the swift action in terms of laws right. and changing the laws and banning certain sure. um, weapons and um, how quickly that happened. Again, it's a, it's yeah. a very different type of country and I'm aware, I'm aware of all of that. Yeah. But still makes um, you want a little bit more of that. It, it, it gives me some hope Yeah, and it makes me think about, okay, well again, what are some, like you're asking your own your, yourself these questions. What can I do? on a, obviously a smaller scale, but yeah. what can I be continuing, continuing to do to strive for equity, to strive yeah. for, um, uh, nurturing and fostering and caring for other people, yeah. um, in a way that actually ends up supporting me. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. you know, it doesn't take away from me. It actually supports yeah. me and, and makes me very excited about the work that yeah. I'm doing. Yeah. Um, anyway so that's that's what all i that was going through my brain yeah i um so something that uh aoc has been talking about she's talked about more (laughs) alexandria ocasio cortez i was actually seeing the hash the her her twitter handle handle, as i said (laughs) alexandria ocasio cortez um congresswoman alexandria ocasio cortez nice um, she's someone who I remember most recently talking about the fallacy of the zero sum game. Mm. So, and I think that this is sort of, um, this is one of the sort of like core philosophies that has infected us and is, I think, sort of a critical part of this patriarchal thing that we're taught, which is there is not enough and therefore you need to hoard what there is mm-hmm. because having that is power. So one of the things that you're sort of taught in very, um, you know, sometimes subconscious and sometimes very explicit ways, mm-hmm. I think, as, uh, you know, in my experience, yeah. is ways to sort of own the power uh, and the resources uh, in, you know, small interpersonal situations and also sort of more sort of philosophically. Um, and that, you know, that sort of overlaps with, um, I mean, a lot of different things. It's sort of like how you interact, how you are in a room, how you interact with other people, Mm -hmm. you know, sort of this hierarchical thinking, you know, that like, there's always some way to be above, even if you're below someone else, rich above poor, white above non-white, uh, men above women, you know, women, 
um, uh, you know, anyway, t- take through all the hierarchical assumptions, mm-hmm. you know, list all of those, that those are things that you have to sort of reinforce. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, part of the personal work has been trying to see ways in which my sort of habits in the world, the way in which I interact in the world and think about, am I, uh, am I actually creating enough space for the people around me physically, you know what I mean? Or even just like emotionally. Um, and I catch myself more or often sonically, now. sonically. <laughs> exactly. I mean, yeah. you even asked me before we record, you're like, just let me know if I'm talking too much. And I was like, no, actually I want you to talk. Sure. So, yeah. But, the, but that, I've I've started to hear more men say that like yeah. I'm often the first voice that's that's or the the one that's loudest in in any given room yeah. because I just do and I just say I'm a, now I'm potentially being more conscious of maybe I should allow other voices to yeah or why but there's this other concept right of or another way to look at something like that is well why don't people just speak up yeah but you're talking and yeah. people are being polite so yeah. um, or the classic trope of interrupting man right and yeah well and and <laughs> not to like and i promise you i'm not just trying to like sell tickets to the, the play but um you know heidi heidi talks about this as well in the play and mm-hmm. says like if this is a battle um and she's talking about sort of the way the constitution is structured but if it's a battle then the people who have always uh who have always won who have always held the power are going to continue to win and hold that power. Um, men, white people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think that um, the theory I'm going on right now, and I'm a big fan of this idea of shedding the zero sum thinking, right? Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that we get, we, you know, there are limits sometimes to resources. I understand that that resource doesn't just show up because the world is still the way it is. Right. But we do not have to buy into this zero sum thinking that makes us sort of hoard the resources for ourselves at the expense of other people. And the other thing that I've been saying to myself is that when I am, because I'm trying to think of ways that this actively makes my life better, that it is not just uh, somehow me ceding space to have less, that actually when more people around me have more access to their full humanity, that there is more for all um, and that it does not benefit me uh, the way I want to live my life and the world I want to live in. It does not benefit me for the people around me to have less, less access to their full humanity. So that's the sort of guiding principle of it. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I understand we don't yet live in that world where everyone has access to their full humanity. So I understand that there is like there's so much to get, getting there. Um, but that is what I choose to believe because I believe it's true. I have a question. What, what would you say is access to your full humanity? What does that look like? Um, I think, I mean, in a, like an interpersonal level, it is that the people around you who you can sort of interact with feel that they have a voice. So like the ability to share ideas safely, Mm -hmm. they have physical safety Mm -hmm. in the world. Mm -hmm. I know that creating physical safety comes with like there's a whole lot of things that go along with what that feels like mm-hmm. um a certain amount of autonomy of thought full autonomy of thought right. um and full autonomy of action freedom of action that does not uh in most cases impact the physical 
um, safety of other people. Right. Um, to me, it is about, I think probably in a lot of ways, <laughs> allowing more people to live with the level of um, sort of freedom and safety that I think I have sort of, I have lived with for a lot of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I think about, so that there is this one, I'm sure a lot of people listening to this have maybe seen this, uh, it was either a YouTube video or someone told me about it, I can't remember, it was a podcast, but they uh, took a group of uh, people um, and uh, they asked, you know, on this side of the board, we're going to list, uh, I would like all of the men uh, in the room mm-hmm. to list uh, all the things they do to not be sexually harassed on a daily basis, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, or to not be attacked on a daily basis, all the things that they do, right? Here's on this side. And on the other side, all the women in the room are going to list all of the things that they do on a daily basis to not be physically harassed or attacked right mm-hmm. and of course that just makes complete sense to me that like what happened was nothing on one side mm-hmm. and like so much on the other side mm-hmm. so that's the thing i think of in relation to like my um you know hetero cis whiteness mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. um and maleness and the things that i just don't have to think about and i think about that as like look i have stress i have stress in my life right i have stressful days but those are things I never, ever think about. Mm-hmm. I do not walk in the world with any fear that I'm going to be taken advantage of by police or attacked by police. Mm-hmm. I have zero concern about it. I really do. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that like, I have people in my life who go through their every day with that as an underlying stress, that is inherently unfair. And there's no reason for it, uh, no good reason for them to have to feel that way other than the fact that the system is broken and making it so that they have to live. It's, it's unnecessary stress. And so when I think about, is it better for me that those people walk around in their lives worried about being attacked by men, being attacked by police? Uh, my answer is no, that ultimately I'm safer and happier when those people feel safer and happier. So I'm just using that as the guiding principle to say, like, you can even look through, look at it, I think, through a selfish lens and say, um, there is a better life for all of us, um, but it involves changing how we think, the fundamental uh, ways in which we think, and also the fundamental structures that we've inherited, you know? Mm-hmm. I didn't design our, you know, our, our, our police and military system. Yeah. I didn't design our government, but, like, I also don't have to like enforce it. Um, so yeah, I'm, uh, I love this. Um, one, I will just say, like it's. I don't know how many white men I actually talk to. <laughs> like this, I mean, I have a lot. You know, I I have colleagues, I have friends, I have people, but we don't talk like we. I've never heard anybody talk like this. One of my a recent guests, Tom Thomas Cabanis. Um, he's from South Carolina and he, uh, he, uh, his father belonged to, who's uh, like a left, left wing, uh, uh, you know, left leaning, uh, politically, but belongs to a, or belonged to a, um, 
a golf course that was uh, that historically does not allow black or, or Jewish people. Mm-hmm. And it was just sort of that's what you do. And that the um, the membership is passed down patrilineal patrilineally um and yet he wrote this opera as a young man a young composer uh about uh uh denmark vici who uh uh who uh who was somebody who um was orchestrating a slave rebellion as Mm. a freed man Mm. um and that there was like a big juxtaposition i was like okay okay so please tell me you work with people who are not also white. Mm. I didn't ask it exactly like that, but I thought that like while he was explaining, it, I was like, this is, you know, this is kind of an exciting thing to hear about, but also, Hmm. Um, but the way we were talking back to my original point <laughs> was the way that we were talking. I was still really impressed and asking him, I'm like, I'm trying to understand how white people think, even mm. though I've been, I grew up around people, but we don't talk about it so, like this stuff. Right. Yeah. So this is really helpful. Um, and two, the, the other thing that I was thinking about in terms of like how you, you are, um, describing how you're able to, the kind of privilege that you have and being cognizant of that, that's a lot of work that one needs to do just to be able to acknowledge all of that, let alone yeah. start to make choices in their life to, um, ch- make changes or decisions yeah. based off of, of, um, you know, recognizing it and then finding ways where that can be shared. Yeah. People don't want to do work. That's right. Um, and I feel like artists or at least the artists that I know are, um, you know, interested in either creating work that helps an audience who may or may not be wanting to do work at least have to see yeah. this and start to think at the right. very least, whether yeah. they like a show or enjoy a show or whatever. Sure. Um, so, so I'm interested in talking down that path about art making and, and, and choices that we make as artists and the kinds of questions that we're asking. Um, and along with that, then <clears throat> I have a theater partner who we are in the midst of making a piece of art um, that is very much in line with the, the YouTube um, clip that somebody sent mm-hmm. you about um, men n- not even having a thought about sexual harassment or catcalling or any, mm-hmm. anything that they have to do to protect themselves and right. all of that long list of women of what women have to do. And, um, I think it's pretty good. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Um, but <clears throat> I'm, I'm what's what I have found just going again, going down that path a little bit in the very early stages of creating this work, um, she's been the playwright and um, though we were devising the work, she's the one who's writing it. And she was at a, uh, you know, in progress, work in progress type, like playwrights mm. reading thing. Mm. Salon, I guess. Salon. Yeah. <laughs> a salon. A salon. Uh, <laughs> um, and so she was, t- I wasn't able to be there. So she was telling me about um, the feedback that she was getting. That it was fairly positive, which is good but that there was one playwright who was trying to ask a question that she interpreted of like, who is your partner and is she of color? Because like that changes how I can see this piece. But he never uh, seemed to ask that question. So that made us think a little bit about like, how do we, she's, she is a white cisgendered woman. I am a black cisgender woman and our, um, like, uh, economically i think we're at the pretty sim- similar status um as in terms of our uh where we grew up but where we grew up is very different and our experiences are very different mm. and and it could be 
because of um our our ethnicity or not like i'm not sure but how do, i'm thinking about like how do we pump that or or broaden that or or i don't know what the right word is but how do we actually use our own experiences because it is based on our own experiences and make sure it's clear to the audience that women in general experience this and then their specificity mm-hmm. yeah so that's where we are again early yeah. stages um yeah. But there's something to there's something that I need to be thinking about in, in developing this yeah. piece around that. Yeah. More, more, more. Yeah. And it does matter who the who the originating artist and the team of artists is. Right. I mean, that's the thing that, um, you know, as my own complicity in, you know, supporting the system becomes apparent to me, and I am in a position to hire, you know, to you know advise on how we hire people and how we search for yeah. people, you know. Um, and those are very practical decisions that put money into some people's pockets and other people's not, mm-hmm. right? So, like, that's like, I'm in a position that has some, and it is so much easier to do nothing, right? Because the system will c- keep feeding you unknowingly, and people who think they're good people, and like people who think right. of and them a, as know. aware, and who we've worked you know. with, and often your networks are, you know, homogenous, often, not yeah. always, but how do you find ways to open windows, open doors for new voices, That's right. new pe- people with different experiences to round out That's right. the making? Yeah, and really, it takes work, and mm-hmm. I, I spend most of my time, uh, you know, disappointed with how much I've done you know and it makes me want to sort of like again continue to rethink and find ways to push back against the sort of the systemic sort of ease that the easiness that comes from the system sort of feeding you the same people but it requires not just looking and finding new people but also changing the rules with which you use to vet whether a person is or is not uh you know does or does not have the experience you need mm-hmm. for the job mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that you know again you just go deeper and deeper into so many of your assumptions and they're not always they they are rarely obviously coded to me or to anybody as relating to gender or race or um you know social social status mm-hmm. or um uh, uh, income level, you know, they're rarely actually coded like that. They're not apparent to the person, but they are the sort of secret code in it is like clearly, it's clearly there. So it takes work. It takes a lot of work. Thank you for listening to episode 21, act one of Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body, Oliver Butler, What It Means About. Join us next time for act two. Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body is edited and produced by Ben Weber. Christopher Totten is the creative content manager. Brandon Hutchinson is the media arts coordinator. John Waldman wrote and performed the theme song. Tim Palin designed the logo. Visit us at www.teachingartistry.org. Follow us on Twitter at TA underscore artistry and on Instagram at Teaching Artistry with CJB. Like our page on Facebook, listen to us on SoundCloud, subscribe and rate us on iTunes, and be sure to share this podcast with all the teaching artists in your life. Let's start it up now. Let's start it up now. 